This week's podcast is sponsored by the Vodafone Comedy Festival in the Ivy Gardens, Dublin. Uh, this is the second time that I've been asked to do this ad because the first time apparently it was too reedy. So um, go to VodafoneComedy.com to check out how brilliant this festival is. It's 10 years old. Uh, it's always been a brilliant showcase for up-and-coming Irish comedians as well as established international acts. And this year is no different. There's a huge list of comedians that I'm pretty sure we listed over the last two weeks. So we won't do that again. We'll just encourage you to check out the website. And if possible, check out Chris Gethard in particular because he's a personal favourite of mine. I think his show is one of the best things to ever happened to the internet. So there you go. VodafoneComedy.com Hopefully that wasn't too reedy. You're very welcome along to the Weekly General Meeting, a podcast all about Irish creativity. I'm Shane Langan and I'm joined by Neil Conlon. Hello, Neil. Hi, Shane. How are you this week? I am good. We've already talked. I know, but we're on the, we're on the podcast oh, yeah. now. Fair enough. How are things? Good. Oh, Do we have to have like the same kind of conversation that we had where we're being really open and honest about our personal lives? You can if you want, if you feel like that's something you'd like to do on the podcast. I'd rather not. You could have just very easily just said... I'm good, and we could have just had a little chat, and then I'm I could introduce what's though. going on. I'm not good. Do you want to ask me how I am? How, how are you? I'm okay. I'm a, I've got a little bit of a chesty infection thing. I don't know if it's an infection. I've definitely got a chest thing going on. Oh, you can hear it there, actually. Yeah. Do that again? What? Breathe in. Chest. Does that, does that sound chesty? No, no. Uh, no breathe in. With breathe in. Yeah, you can hear. Yeah, that. I got a chesty thing, uh, but I'm uh, so I'm coughing when I'm when I don't need when I, you know for a long time. When I don't day. need to. No, when I, yeah, well, like I'm not I'm not coughing now because I'm being professional and being on a podcast. And also, I'm looking for a flat at the moment, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to a lot of um, viewings with my wife at the moment, and I can't be coughing and spluttering and like you know excreting stuff while I'm in there. Otherwise, they won't because we're looking for a flat share. So we're basically being interviewed by potential flat share people. So I kind of have to go in and act like I'm not really sick and uh, for like 10 minutes and be charming and not diseased. I, I thought you were going to, like on the podcast, ask for any recommendations no, for flat. No, no, no. Okay. Well, I mean, well, I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't found one yet, but uh, and, and we have to be out of the flat. We have to be out of our flat by the end of uh, July. So I don't know. For anyway. those of you listening in the future, that's 2016. Yeah, in London. We're looking for North London or East London, if anyone's got any leads. Um, but I think we're going to be okay. Spareroom.com's been helping us out there uh, on that front. So, yeah, but anyway, so uh, so just bear that in mind while I'm do- how brilliant I'm doing by not coughing into the mic and, and making everyone really gross. Congratulations. Good. No worries. Okay, so this this week's uh, podcast is, uh, is a special interview and performance podcast with uh, Anderson. It is, yes. Um, Daniel Anderson is a really, really interesting character. He was a songwriter in a band called The Rags that kind of were on the Dublin music scene for a while and then the Irish music scene got signed to Sony and um, the band broke up just after, I I think actually just before the the first album came out. And um, they were by, by far and away like one of the best bands around. They were brilliant, so it was really, really sad to see them go. But um, Daniel was the front man. He was like a, a real character, like a really, really strong personality. And I was always quite intimidated by him. Um, but then last year he came out with uh, a solo album. It turned out that he had kind of built himself a studio, a house in a studio um, on a plot of land, learned how to build, then learned how to build a studio, learned how to use it, and wrote and recorded, uh, recorded, uh, recorded his, did, did, did his first solo album. And it's absolutely spectacular. It's beautiful. It's such a great album. And he's a really, really nice person. And I don't know, I, I, I thought it was only fair to uh, to d- devote an entire um, episode to him because I think the album stands up, um, especially when people do an album on their own, completely on their own. You know, it's so hard. You know, I, I, I know from experience, like the first time we released an album with Delorentos, you know, we had to go out to the manufacturing plant and... I, pick up the CDs, put them in my Cinquecento, and then we got them home and it turned out all 5,000 were damaged 
and we had to pay for them anyway. Oh my god! And all that kind of shit. Like, but you had you three know. other you had three other people to uh, share that. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, despair with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas Anderson has kind of gone through this whole journey himself and completely changed the sound, learnt different instruments, and uh, it kind of reminds me of um, Harry Nielsen, but like a, a very kind of. 2016 way yeah. in terms of songwriting and production stuff but it, it's absolutely beautiful it's um, it's a brilliant a- um, album and I, I think it was a really interesting chat so great so there you go okay well then let's have a listen to your chat and, and a couple of uh, performances uh, from Anderson nobody seems to want to know about the things that really matter the Russian push from day to day Is slowly wearing us away Still I see the sun rise in your eyes The summer it lives in song But the heart of it is gone It still looks the same But everything's changed Still beat, we know some will live there forever. I feel history, the ashes of yesterday. We watch the seasons come and go with things we thought would last forever. Still I see the sun rise in your eyes Whenever blue I look beside me and I see you Innate attraction to music I just, uh, coming from Fingless and the area I was from I didn't really have much of an outlet for it um, all my friends were into football and stuff so it was only when I went to secondary school that um, meeting up with new new people had different um, different ideas on life uh, and uh, that was how I started to see an inroad into maybe expressing myself in music so I suppose um, it was always there. It was just I didn't really have I didn't really have a means to get into it. And I suppose going into secondary school, meeting those people who were into music primarily, and then whatever was in me, I was able to bring to the table somewhere or another. I don't know how it actually happened, but I suppose that was it. I just wanted seeing them people playing music and lots of stuff like. And the sort of Britpop thing was happening with Blur and Oasis and various bands, and I suppose it was attractive, you know. Yeah. So, you, so you came from Finglas. You're from the the north side. Mm. You said you came across people that didn't have the the same interests as your mates in terms of playing football and all that kind of stuff. What what kind of mm. people did you come across? Were they were they teachers? Were they parents? Were they people that owned records? No, just 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 when I went to secondary school, there was just a group of people who played in bands, and they um, they the majority of those lads ended up being in my first band, the Rags. Um, they, they just had a different. They were just tuning to different things. Like they still liked football, but they they were playing guitars from a very young age. Like they, I think they were sixteen, and they were they had they had like an EP out and stuff. And they were re- you know the way in, in small towns when there's like it's like it happens sort of with the stripes as well. You know, young lads and they have the support of the whole town. They're so young and they they had all that. You know, and there was real excitement about them. They were on national radio and stuff. And so. Um, I suppose that was attractive to me, you know, just looking at them playing and um, how accomplished they were at a young age as well, you know. So they were, um, in, a, they were in a band before? One, uh, huh? They were in a band before? They were in a band called, Yeah, they were. They were, they were in a band. Uh, I can't remember the name of them. I think they were Sunstone. So, that's it. Sunstone or Moonstone. <laughs> but um, they were in this band and... Um, 
Yeah, they were very young and they were very accomplished. Like they were, they were like Kieran that used to play in the Rags was really is and still is a really accomplished guitarist. And then Dermot that played in the Rags, he was a drummer. Again, he was brilliant. They they would have been Dermot would have been very much into the kind of Nirvana stuff. Kieran would have been into the more Pearl Jam um, side of things. And then there's a band called Droy County or Alias Empire. Do you know them? I do. Yeah, great. Well, Kev, Kev, the lead singer in them, he was also in that MI school and in that sort of clique of people. And um, so they were all had this thing going on and I I wanted to get involved. So I just spent probably about that first summer where I realised trying to convince the lads to sack the singer in their band, you know, because he wasn't good enough. And I couldn't even sing at this stage, you know, to be honest. And I didn't know how I could. So I just started trying my best to learn how to sing and play guitar with, with some sort of competence. And not that it, not that it really came to any fruition for a long time. But that was that 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 was the sort of the seed of everything from that point in school, you know. So you convinced these lads to sack their singer and start again with you as the singer? Exactly. And <clears throat> um, it took a lot of badgering. I I used to hang around the rehearsal and stuff. Most of the lads in the band didn't like me. I think it was Kieran who was the only one. And the reason why he was giving me any time was because I was in, on the football team with him. And so we built a bit of rapport. And um, so eventually, I don't know, I think there was a a few songs that sort of like almost an audition I remember having it in his bedroom where he said alright if you can sing this then you know we'll sack him <laughs> something like that and so I, I was able to bring it off <laughs> to, and that was I suppose that was it then I got in that way he convinced everyone else he was kind of the pipe piper in that way so what he said went when when he wanted me in it was alright the rest of them just followed suit and what, why did why did they not uh, why did they not get on with you? Like, did you did you know each other from school, or had there been any past with you guys? Or no, just that I was uh, I was you know I was a different I had a I was coming from a different place, a different space. There, like my upbringing was very um, confrontational. Let's just say I was always fairly. I was all. Uh, let's just say I was. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I was like, every, if he, the best analogy would be oil and water. It seemed like everything else around me was water and I was just oil. It didn't matter who I hung around with. I just never really found a way to become part of that, a group. And so I was always kind of, not a loner, I don't paint that, that sort of picture, but in many ways I just was different in, I don't, I don't know why it is. I can't really articulate it, but I think I just gave off obviously some aura of, not very hospitable and not very, <laughs> you know? So that's so interesting because, like, for years, the, the band that I play in, Delorentos, we, we would have crossed paths with the Rags, and mm. you were always one of my favourite bands. Like, I have both the EPs that you released years before you uh, released your mm. first album, but I would never in a million years have the balls to talk to you because you were always... Like, <laughs> Like, you were brilliant on stage in particular. You know, you always seemed to be like, unlike a lot of our peers at the time, you seemed to really kind of mean it. And you weren't doing a, a version of what you had seen on TV. Mm. You looked angry a lot of the time. And I kind of figured if I ever went up and said, oh, I really like your band, i get a smack in the face. <laughs> yeah. You see, I suppose that was, that was the misconception a lot of the time for me. And them lads would have had it because, you know, I spent a lot of my childhood, it was like either just fight or flight, you know. The area that I was in was very, um, you know, just a very aggressive type of place and environment to grow up. And I was no way, that was no way, that wasn't, like, I wasn't like that in the slightest, really. So I suppose what music was able to give me was an outlet that didn't involve violence necessarily, but maybe a violence in the articulation of it. But, like, uh, music gave me an outlet because I spent a lot, like, I, I'll give you an example. I used to, my group of friends who I grew up with, who had no choice but to like me because we were able to bond on a different level. There was no sort of... You know, there was not, we just grew up together. So I had this group of friends who just accepted me as different to people. And it, it was just the way they accepted me that 
I wasn't quite exactly them. They couldn't understand why, because it w- wasn't obvious externally. I was just a little boy, but they knew there was something a little bit different about me that they couldn't quite put their finger on. But we we used to travel around Fingal, so I used to I used to have to be on a bike because there were so many kids around that wanted to kill me for one reason or another. <laughs> so I used to have to have a bike because I could get away quickly then you know so all the hardest incidentally a lot of people who these kids that were growing up who were sort of bullies are dead they've died from like violent murders and so that's the ironic thing you know so he's grown up in this environment where the only way to really confront it was to either become it completely or try and give sort of a full version of that and confront it some of the times you confront it some of the times you just take a beating some of the times you get away that's the way I just live my life growing and I suppose that sense of um, skepticism about um, other people I must have brought into then that, that environment of music and stuff so but from a psychological perspective I'd say that's where the sort of maybe I would have appeared standoffish and and, and to be honest, I didn't do myself any favours with anybody, be it record companies or my peers. Or I just was, I felt, I naively thought that like I could just do my own thing, behave how I wanted, and the music would stand up for itself, and then everything would be redeemed by a quality of music. But like, it's not nice to not be nice to people, you know. And I suppose that was some, just something I had to learn the hard way, and I'm, I continue to learn it the hard way. Because people still have that impression where, like, I'm um, in my thirties now, so it's a case of like I'm very much a different person. I've settled into a different way of thinking, and I have different aspirations and different um, hopes and dreams for whatever my life's going to be. You know, so but you have the baggage like people look at you with sort of like there's your man that was in that band remember him they were a bastard <laughs> that sort of shit you know so you're carrying that around with you all the time so well I'm sure but, nobody thinks that to be fair but I think one thing that people may not realise is that the rags were you know not to use that phrase such a cliche but were such a hotly tipped band on the Dublin <clears> music <throat> scene even amongst UK labels and there was a lot of people looking to what that first album would be but like during that period I can only imagine there must have been a lot of you know, managers on the scene, A and R scouts, that kind of stuff. I mean, did you? Mm-hmm. You said that you kind of you, you might have put a few few people's noses out of joint. Did you have much interaction with the industry on that side of that side of things? Yeah, we like we were fairly. Um, we were courted by a lot of labels at that stage, and we just didn't do it. It just wasn't right. I just I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in fate, and I just don't think we had the maturity. I don't think we had the presence of mind or the sort of cohesion as a unit to really um, just to realise our potential together. And that, and then it ultimately turned out to be destructive, and it was very destructive. Like we were a very dysfunctional bunch of people, and. We were going in a studio, like we. At the same time, though, we were very determined to to not write mediocre stuff. We wanted to really, you know, express ourselves in a unique way, in a way that you know wasn't just like you know, so, like you said, with stuff you listen to, and sometimes you you can get if it can become a bit pastiche, but. We wanted to try and make something original, and I think that was probably the reason. Then the album was delayed. And we were rehearsing like seven nights a week. And when you're in an environment like that and you're growing up, it's like it's like growing up in a cupboard, you know, because it, it starts to get really claustrophobic and the relationships become fairly toxic. And then you're bringing other people into this and straight away they can sense the atmosphere in a room, you know. And you're, you're, you're sort of... You're in no position then to really endear yourself to people because there's this atmosphere sitting over everything. Most of the time, we'd have arguments before a label came. I remember Sony came in one time. Uh, Hugh Murray. Um, were you? Were you? Did you know him? Yeah, he's you, you, he your manager, wasn't he? Yeah, for a while. Yeah, yeah. But he he brought over some fella called Ollie. Um, I can't remember some fella from Sony in the UK, and they came in. He sat in on a session. It was just a disaster. I just remember the first half hour before that we were like just absolutely blazing arguments and then we had EMI over and it was a similar thing it was just like it was going where it was a real struggle for who's in charge sort of thing you know or who 
a lot of the time, like, um, sort of members, like, other members would be, like, trying to say my songs should be going forward, but then you have a sort of a clear picture of, like, what, like, it's not about whether it's your song or my song, it's about the best song, and that should be the case, but it wasn't always that way, and then it just, it just becomes so petty, you know, it's just ridiculous, and, we really did have I think if you take if you boil it down just the potential I think we had so much potential I just think it was one of those things that just uh, like being young and not understanding really um having a perspective on a bigger picture and trying to it's it's so small-minded to even get down to sort of talking about songs before you even have enough good ones to consider an album with you know just getting ahead of ourselves a little bit I suppose yeah, it's a funny that, thing. That's the thing that people don't often realise about bands. The, the kind of shit that happens before a band go on stage or before they have, you know, the biggest showcase of, that, of their lives in front of some industry guy in what's probably their own rehearsal room or a rented rehearsal mm. room and all that. You feel like your whole life is kind of coming down to this and whether you want it or not, do you even want us, you know, all those kind of questions. Exactly. And that's a question that comes up a lot. Is Do I want, even even now for me, it's like, like for the amount of investment and it's like I've had a sort of very unique insight into perceived success perceived failure in a very short space of time on the Monday begging people to listen to the album on the Wednesday having a, a viral video that sort of forces people to take it to take note and then on the Friday everybody's playing playing the song that on Monday wasn't radio wasn't suitable for daytime radio so it's uh, that's intangible for me. I I don't understand it because I work off a basis that the reason why I spent two years trying to write them songs or and lyrics and trying to make the arrangements the best I possibly could with the limitations that I have, um, it's sort of disconcerting a little bit that that can be overlooked and what can be the driving force for what I feel is a strong record I wouldn't have released it if I didn't would is a gimmick and that can be a little bit disconcerting uh, maybe I'm a bit naive and in my ambition to have the music heard on its own merit but you know I suppose I am in that way naive and I, I hope I don't stop being that way because if I do I don't think would be capable of making another record, you know? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, being in a band doesn't make any sense. And, like, it's mm. the, the music industry is full of people that, that the, the creative side of the music industry anyway, are full of people that are, are and I very much include myself and, and everything that, that I've experienced, are, are ridiculous in so many ways because it doesn't make any sense, you know? And, like, <clears throat> hearing you say that thing about the radio uh you know, I, pres- I presume at some stage somebody either on your side of the fence or on the other side of the fence said, nah, sorry, that's not commercial enough for radio or we just mm. can't play it. It's all bollocks, though. It's based on fear. Like, for the most part, there are people that have to justify uh, playing a song to, to get uh, ear earballs on a radio station so they can sell advertising and unfortunately has nothing to do with the merit of the of the music. And that's re- it's really frustrating. And a big part of the reason that we set the monthly general meeting up a couple of years ago was because we wanted to showcase our friends during the recession who had no platform, be it like music, comedy, film, whatever. They had no platform, no, no place to show their work. And that's why we started up the, the, the live event. And, and like, I don't know, I think a lot of us live and, and believe that we live in this, this meritocracy. And it, it, you're right, it is frustrating. It isn't. It is, it's not, it's but no way based on a meritocracy. It's based on numbers. It's, it's, ba- it's, it's brought it all back down to digits. And not people usually, like, how do you, how do you really receive um, art on, on any level? And, and it's on a visceral soulful level when you go on the late late show and they, the first thing they talk about is how many hits you've had it, it sort of <laughs> it, it can make you feel like it sort of makes your stomach drop a little bit because you realize that like i've spent two years of my life um trying best as i can to um give substance to my feelings and um you know put it on a record and i don't want to get too highfalutin because i don't take myself that seriously anyway but it just it's it's just 
I just wonder what way culture is going when it's based on that. And yeah, I have to understand it. It's culture driven. I don't necessarily, I just think the like say radio and the usual channels of distribution for, for, mu- for music and content, all they're doing is having a reflex to what's happening on a wider scale on the internet. So they're just floundering around to try and find a way to um, accommodate this new medium. And so what they're doing is taking um, content second hand when it's already finished. Like the excitement's over by the time it gets to the different channels the excitement's over they've missed the boat and it, like it's a, they need to find a way to be creative with the content and sort of reinvigorate it by pushing it through their filter like you know what I mean so when it go when you look at when you go on you see a thing like the Late Late Show and you see how little effect it really has in the general scheme that you know that it needs to, like oh I'm grateful to have played it and probably I'm ruining my life again by being honest but at the end of the day they need to find a way to reinvigorate the content they're taking as a second-hand entity and putting it through whatever the old way because it doesn't work anymore, you know? So in a way, it's society-driven, this numbers thing, you know? No, I, t- I totally agree with you, and I, and I don't think you're shooting yourself in your foot at all. I, th- I think the funny, it, for, for artists and musicians and people, creative people that, are, that tend to be doing their work on the fringes, it's important to, to give that context. I, I actually think that the whole point of the you know the whole point of this is to give context like the reason i like you know i like your your stuff even though i don't have the balls to talk to you except for over Scott. <laughs> maybe maybe you'll talk to me next time i see it then. Nah, it's all right we'll take a couple of years then um, yeah. but but for me like the the storytelling side of it is what's important the narrative taking back the narrative from a creative point of view is what's important like if I had to describe who you were to somebody uh, in England who may not know you I'd say you had been the lead singer of one of the most promising bands in the last 10 years you released a lot of good tunes but ultimately it, it fell down it fell down the band fell apart people people had left there were arguments there were record deals that went arseways there were managers in out everything fell apart and when it fell apart the lead singer went away Found a, literally found a plot of land, built a studio and decided to change his outlook on the whole process and wrote an album that had nothing to do with where he'd come from. It's a completely different aesthetic and a completely different point of view, but because it's more particular to him as an individual and probably more honest, more raw, it connects more with an audience than anything he's done before. I don't know if that's fair, but that's kind of how I would see it. Well, for me, I think it does, and I feel people are, are have been much more generous with how they receive me. And I, maybe you could say, but I'm even talking before that sort of video made things sort of kick off. That was just like before that, I just felt a general openness to to it because people when I play it live, it doesn't like. I've had a lot of people say to me, it doesn't really come across as a singer songwriter in the typical sense when you play it live. It doesn't seem like a conventional sort of thing. It seems like almost uncomfortably different at times, you know. And I like that. I like the fact that, it, and that's what I wanted it to be. A lot of my brief when I was doing it was to do everything that I was thinking instinctively to do, completely go the opposite way. Anything that was conventional, I would try and like. There's a couple of songs on there, like um, there's a song called "Through the Night," where I made the drums so broken throughout the song, just purposely. I didn't want this standard drum pattern going through the song, so I sat there with the program and programming the drums in a way that just made it disjointed and seem a little bit weird you know and I tried to do that with the whole album was just to try and take out the sort of conventional elements of and in a way I did because a lot of bass lines I wrote um, before the drums were done so I had to like usually you, you know yourself you're usually building from the foundation of a drum and bass section and then you build on it and you have a groove but I was writing bass lines because somewhere along the beginning I found I loved playing bass and I spent a lot of time on the bass lines and then the drums had to go on after that and trying to fit the drums into some of them bass lines are fairly sort of all over the shop melodically and it was difficult that way but anyway I was straight off there did I? No that's really interesting that's exactly the kind of nerdy shit that I'm into to be honest with you. Mm. Um, but I, I love the idea that you, you tried to take a completely different approach 
um, mm. to what you've done in the rags. But just to close off that section of of you know the, the story, the rags had been approached by labels. You had a couple of songs together, but it took years to get that album together. To get that rags album, yeah, it did. It, it did take a long time, and the reason was like I think Kieran, the guitarist, left before that album had even been we started to address the album and uh, then it was like I find that the, the problem with being in a band is when you're young it's a natural thing to be part of a group and this is what I, I think I said it to you when I met you at the weekly general meeting last time or maybe actually I met Ronan as well I said congratulations to, congratulations to him it was about the time he got the universal thing and he thought I was referencing congratulations on the universal thing I'm not so naive to think that that was an amazing thing to happen for you what I was trying to say to him was this is congratulations on being able to stay together and put out coherent work as a group as you get older I think that's commendable to be able to stay together and still and I personally I feel to, to see it growing you know from the the, the initial point to the point you're at now and that's what I was congratulating on him on and he, I think he thought at the time I was saying because the was it universal? I wasn't. I hadn't got that in mind. I was just because you know you realise, and I think I did say it to you at the time. Like life's happening. People are dying. People are coming into your life. You've got kids coming in. You've got people. Relationships are changing, and like all of this stuff is what's informing us, people, and and enriching us as people. And so, like to be able to carry on sharing that in a, in a close quarters, because I understand how difficult it is to be in them close quarters with other adults when you want to be, when you're an individual, you, as you grow, you become an individual, you, you become separate, you know, I suppose that's a natural thing. So it's difficult to stay in that, that situation. And it was the same thing was happening to the rags, albeit speeded up a little bit. Everybody wanted to do different things. Like I had, a, as far as I was concerned, I don't know why a lot of time, like you said earlier on, your question, do I even want to do this? But something constantly has driven me to do this. It's like some sort of sickness I haven't really learned how to cope with properly. And it pulls me in all sorts of directions, but they always tend to be towards making music and expressing myself through music, even though I'm not, I'm not particularly good at it. That I'm trying to constantly grapple with the fact that there are people better than me, but I wanted to fight the odds that... I can be better. I can, I, can, I, can, I can push myself enough. I suppose with the rags, the album, people were leaving and people were... So I was the only constant. I think the last couple of songs I finished on my own and we had a meeting and they all said, just leave it now. There's no point in putting it out. And I just wasn't happy with that. I wasn't happy with having invested that amount of my life into something and to just uh, leave it now. Don't put, don't bother putting it out. So I, I actually put ended up putting it out on my own in the end, and it was almost like a token release because there was nothing, nothing behind it, no money for anything really. It's just something I had, I had to justify that time in my head, and I'd put the most work in over the course of the album. I would have said people were just getting disinterested and they weren't like probably my fault. I spent a lot of times on lyrics and stuff just because I wanted them. I always feel like you know if you're going to do it you might as well do it to the best of your ability at any particular time and the album is incoherent for loads of reasons but if you look at the album for what it is I, I think at the the core of them there's decent songs and there was a really good band I just think the, the dysfunctionality comes across in some of the say arrangements because there's so many different parts going on that sort of dysfunctional I want my part in and what coming out of that environment gave me was a sort of two-way conversation with myself you want that part in that's a great part you spend two weeks working on that part but you can't have it in because it's not fixed it's not working with the song so it's an easier conversation to have if you're having that over spread over five people it's much more difficult to have and you, you don't have the authority to tell someone their part is crap or your part's good but it's not going in so i suppose the closing point to that for me was very difficult because and stressful because I really, some of them had said they'd want to carry on a music and sort of led me to believe they did and then didn't. And it annoyed me and I just, I felt fed up, but I needed to get the album out because I, uh, there was no way I wasn't going to after all I'd put into it. So the closing chapter was probably the most natural. People dropped off, like, you know, and we went wanted their own lives and it was a very intense sort of 
it was about 10 years, you know, or, or eight years maybe of very intense expectations. So I was probably placing on everyone, you know. <laughs> so I suppose it was, natural, it was a natural end, but the album didn't do much. And, and then I, I was left to move on from that point, you know. Every battle isn't lost, and every stretch of sand you cross It documents the path you've laid, recognizes debts you've paid And everything that happens, it happens for a reason And just because it hurts sometimes and the feeling isn't pleasing Doesn't mean there's nothing there for you to shape or you to share and turn around Situations often change and time can spin and rearrange the lives we live and in spite of what we do or say, faith can take our breath away and leave us feeling lost. But it doesn't change the fact that there is something still to find if you open up your heart and fuck what's in your mind. And it's hard to find a moment in the rapid rushing day when everything and everyone is getting in your way and you know there's something missing and that something isn't right. And you pray the day will find its way swiftly to the night And if you get to look inside and you don't like what you see Remember that it's only life and it's just the same for me And the world will go on spinning if you're living while you're dead And the weight of what you carry, well it's only in your head Cause destiny is cruel designs for savage men with brilliant minds Carpenters and heads of state and men who think the time will wait In case they hadn't noticed, death is like the rain It's bound to fall on one and all and take away their pain Yeah! Did you feel when that album kind of it came out. It wasn't everything that you'd worked for five years, five years or so, to to do. Did you feel like there was unfinished business, or do you just feel like this is part of your your life anyway? That you're you're always going to be a musician. I don't know if I like. like I honestly don't know, and it's something I, I even approach myself then as if if I'm going to be a musician. Like I have this. Like I think I described it before, before as like a fatal attraction to music. Because I, I, I used to think it didn't define me, and then sometimes I think it does define me, and then sometimes I don't think it has any relation to me as a human being at all. Because sometimes I turn on the radio and it makes me feel violently ill, even if it's songs that I love and I've always loved. Sometimes I just I can't listen to it. Because I also I realise, and you probably realise it as well, when you're investing yourself so um, wholly into something that life's going on outside of that bubble and sometimes when you emerge from that bubble and realize the, the extent to which life has been altered it can it can make you feel a little bit, bit resentful of what you've just how much of yourself you've spent you know in something that was very selfish and uh, that's how i feel about it sometimes but then sometimes and the biggest reward i get was is like finishing stuff like coming to a last lyric in a song from the beginning uh, sort of the incipient idea and then the realization of the, the full bloom like i literally feel euphoric you know after that like playing a gig sold out gig or having radio play it sort of pales in significance into insignificance when you're talking to people and saying how great your record is it really means nothing to me just like it means nothing to me when someone says your record is shit so you know what i mean look it's in a way i've already tapped the well before they've got to me so like i've played a couple i told i told you like nothing compares to like certainly in our case when you're when you're in a room you've arranged the song you've tried loads of different versions and everybody knows what they're doing and at the end of I don't know, either a recording session or you've played through the song, you've done it right and you know it's right and you know it's done. Nothing compares to that. Like, it's not, it's not the same given, no. you know, handing a CD to someone. It just doesn't compare to what that feeling is like. It's almost, so, so per, it's like, it's, I'd imagine what it's like to maybe do heroin in the dark up in a flat complex on your own. You know, it's like, after that point, there's no... Where really nowhere really you can go from that point. So like when I find at the end of that, I get such a euphoric buzz. I just don't feel like 
anybody can anybody's analysis or appraisal of the work because I played with a, a fellow recently I won't name him but like I could sort of sense he was supporting me for a couple of gigs but I could sense that a, cert, a certain rivalry or a sense that he felt he was which is I suppose as not as natural as anything else You're, at the end of the day if you if you boil it down to its ugly bones it it just is a business and it, when we had a couple of drinks he he kept getting remarks in about my songs or maybe they're a bit wordy or maybe you know you, you need to do this you need to do that but I, I, like it, it was like almost water off a duck's back i couldn't even they didn't even touch the, the surface of my skin because I was like oh yeah yeah and he was almost expecting me to come back with some advice for him but I had none uh, if I had any it would probably be, be you're wasting your time even thinking that way you know but that, that that's how I feel about it I'd, like if lots of people have said they don't like this or they dislike that even I suppose in that video to some degree you see my reaction when people say they hate it it's as indifferent as it is to some to the person who says they love it because it's too late. I've already come to the conclusions that I needed to come to, and I'm, I've already moved on. You know, so that, I, that I suppose I, to I totally understand, and I can understand how you know, just in terms of context, I, I can understand how with you being in your new setup afterwards, that having seen everything kind of fall apart and trying to build it up again to whatever it is you imagine it'll become, or. Or, or not knowing for sure that like nothing would compare to that feeling of of being there on your own with a song that only you have to stand behind you don't have to you don't have to write to second guess what other people in your band will like or what the fans of songs that you don't like but the band play what they'll want you just get to do everything from scratch how you want exactly. to do it Exactly, and I think um, that's liberating in, in lots of ways. And like, like, like being in a band has its drawbacks. Being alone has its drawbacks. You don't. You have to learn to trust yourself, um, and you have to learn um, to have a certain amount of integrity, devoid of any input. You know, because sometimes our our sort of our convictions are made up of the sum parts of a a group of people's convictions and to be on your own and sort of come to um conclusions it, it can be more difficult and in a way you can be more um harsh on yourself i think ultimately that works good i to be honest i don't like i've written so many songs for that album i had some hangover songs but like i really would like to start from scratch now again and just like i didn't that wasn't a case of thinking when i write in a particular way but in many ways this album was just the way i used to write when i was going to the rags there were songs like model citizen and stuff like that they would have been songs i brought to the band and i like i was like melody i suppose later on it got a little bit like you're writing for a big angry band so seeing them in a big angry way but there was some songs that could be just as nice played on an acoustic and arranged differently that would have come across a lot differently you know so I, I suppose um it does give you that sense of sort of um emancipation from anyone else's expectations and just trying to uh, um realize whatever it is you have in your head whatever way you want and then everything else is secondary to realizing that and then the only they then people will give a context by their own views but i've already have my i've already got a context on it before it gets to other people so it's like it's almost the second part of the process for other people to to, to try and put it in context because i've already done it by working through the stuff and and satisfying myself enough to say this is worth this is justified for somebody else's consumption not just my own well, on that, like, so tell me exactly what happened, right? So the band breaks up, and you 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 built a studio. You went to is that right? Mm. Uh, I'm not really yeah. sure if I have that right, but you got a yeah. piece of land, and what happens? Mm. Well, my my uncle, who was always very supportive of the rags, um, you could see I was upset. Of course, I was upset. It didn't it sort of did nothing, and nobody was interested. In it. And there again, you come back to that thing, and it's easy for anybody. I don't think whether you're Paul McCartney or um, Lionel Richie that you sort of need, in a way, you feed off um, 
at least the spread of your record, whether it's accepted or not, but the fact that it gets out, that you've made something to be to, to give to people and that it gets shared and people give their opinion, good or bad or indifferent, that, that the worst thing that can happen is that nobody ever hears it because it, it sort of seems like, what was the point? Um, and that's what I didn't want to happen with this. I, just, I, I definitely felt people, you know, people would be able to connect with it and like again I've, I've no part of the connection that's their own business whether they like it or not whether they, the connection they have with it is they hate it but just the fact that it's being heard that I've made something that actually has uh, the ability to be you know to be heard and uh, my uncle after that period he said to me yeah, I have a little bit of land or well, he has a huge back garden and he said to me he actually said to me, you want to walk in the attic? And I said, I can't fucking walk in the attic. There's like a, there's a, there's a drip up there, you know, from the, the, the thing, the, the, what is it? The thing for the shower where it keeps filling, filling up. And, and I said, I couldn't walk. The tank, yeah, I can't walk up there. There's a tank. And he said, I'll walk in the bedrooms. I can't walk in the fucking bedroom. He said, I'll walk around the house. Anyway, he, he eventually said to me, look, there's, if you can build a place out there, you know, you can have, you can walk out there. And I let that percolate in my mind as I was working on some stuff in Finglas in my mum's house in the box room. I think that's where history and the first couple of songs were sort of written. And um, I just decided one day, right, so I just basically started looking up like things like foundations and um, bricklaying and making roofs. So I started with the foundations and worked my way through the various processes. I did them bit by bit as opposed to taking it all as one big process. Uh, project and I did that for about six or seven months. They were early mornings. I think I was getting up about six, getting over there for about seven or eight, and um, finishing at nine in the evening. Um, and that's what I did, and it was very therapeutic. It just took my mind off music and having to be consumed by having to write something or whatever, you know. And that led me into the next stage, which was trying to figure out how to record things and um, play things. So. So you, you, so you, 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 you researched how to build something like mm. a, a house or a, or a, or a shed or a, or a studio, and then yeah. you, you researched how to record in that studio. Well, I had like I would have during the rags period, I would have had like um, an M box and stuff, but I I never really there was always a demo thing, and I I really started to research like things like equipment and wanting the right equipment and knowing that I'll need this, if, say, if a certain chain of equipment. Like I would like a good converter, a good preamp going from a good mic. So that's a good signal path, mono signal path. So if I want to record a whole album on my own, like if I could get the, I could outsource the drums, I could do the drums in a studio somewhere else, I, I could just get a stereo channel, two good preamps, two good mics, and I would have effectively everything I need to make a good record and then I eventually acquired more so I ended up doing everything sort of in in house yeah, a couple of things a couple of drum tracks elsewhere but pretty much everything there and I recorded like research recording techniques and um, understanding say the frequency frequency spectrum and um, compressors and how they work and what ones are suitable for which different uh, instruments and applications and like at the end of the day, if ever there was an age to do something like that, I suppose this is the easiest because information is so cheap, you know. And do you feel like that was all kind of an elaborate way to kind of? Well, you just you said it was very therapeutic, and I can imagine you were upset when the rags went down. I haven't invested so much time and energy and thought and becoming a person that you thought you should be, and you know, just you know, do, doing what you thought was right and it not working out the way it, it should have. For you, do you think that this whole process was like from from learning how to build a studio to to putting out this album? Do you feel like that was a, a way of kind of shedding and forgetting what you'd done before and and, and trying to be a, a new person, or is it is it really yourself? You know, what was it? Yeah, I think it was really myself. I wasn't trying to forget anything, and naturally, my sort of the sort of state of mind that I always resort to is I'm moving forward without really too much reflection because I think you can't, you have to constantly look forward because if you're looking back at anything and sort of reflecting on it, 
like obviously I was I didn't really need to f- reflect on the bad elements I knew what they were when I knew what they were because it wasn't me all along I was trying to play a character a lot of the time like I was I was I'm a fairly um like I said to you before I I always felt some way strange always outside groups but I didn't always my natural um disposition isn't one of confrontation uh, it just I, I felt like I had to sort of acquire that in order just to survive in the environments that I was in and then brought that into the music thing and was maybe creating a character that I couldn't really live up to if you see me with my family if you've seen how I dealt with my nanny or you you would sort of go what the fuck is this this is like completely odds with what you're giving out I just wasn't that person so I was in many ways playing a part and so when I was coming out of the rags thing I wasn't conscious of changing anything I just the only thing I felt at that stage, I really wanted to do was express myself, and like to be honest, I had no reason to believe I could could make that album on my own. I had absolutely no reason. I could barely play guitar, you know. Coming at the end, of even building that space had a like a modicum of um, capability on the guitar, and then I, I said about learning bass and piano and trying to figure out how to articulate whatever drum beats I had in my head to a drummer, you know? So, yeah, um, I suppose uh, I had nothing in mind other than wanting to carry on doing music except to, I felt, a higher level at this stage because if I wasn't going to do it to a higher level, what was the point, you know? So, so tell, me, tell me this then. You, so you've released, you've written, recorded what I think is an absolutely fantastic album, genuinely, and I, I hate that thing in interviews where you kind of feel like the person interviewing someone is being fawning, but for what it's worth, you know that this is a, a sticky tape and bailing twine operation and we only have people on that we really like. I, like, right. I think it's like, it was, it was so spectacular to see that, that mm. first video when, when history came out. Couldn't believe it. Honestly, was so pleasantly surprised. Like I said, I, I have... Every rags recording that I could ever get my hands on, always mm. was a massive fan. And to see that that when the band broke up, that it didn't mean that you stopped writing or recording was genuinely brilliant to see. Like mm. I, 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 um, I, I mean that, and it's not one of those. those uh, it's very hard to kind of say things like that without it seeming like it's disingenuous, but it's true. No, like no, it, I, I trust you. <laughs> you can't see the eyes though you can't see the eyes you don't know what I'm doing with my face I know, you're probably but, naked yeah yeah oh, oh. Um, no like I, there was a band when we we were probably both coming up called Life After Modelling that I was obsessed with and they never actually did anything they released one single I, think, I remember the name the, the, the drummer James went on to be in Villagers and a whole bunch of other bands and uh, they went on in different directions but because mm. they broke up even before they got to release their debut album they've always stuck in my head as this kind of example of how many musicians have have written but not recorded a great album you know how many how many brilliant writers are there out there or filmmakers that have never gotten around to making that piece of work that some Egypt like me would still be harping on about 10 years later. And like, I, 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 I love the idea that people are, you know, are making music regardless of the consequences because the flip side is people never get to experience really, really good music, good writing, good filmmaking, you name it. And like, that, that's kind of one of the things that have kept, has kept me going, you know, like, it, like, it is bonkers. It's absolutely, and we're mad. Like, we're, we're, we're like, but it's not a career. It's I mean, not a career. Like, it's a vocation. Even now, it's like no, it's not a career. You're right. Like, but it, but like, that's the good and bad thing out of it because there are people with careers in the music industry and they tend not to be musicians. <laughs> that's the funny thing. I find I'm going to gigs. I'm looking at the sound man's getting paid. <laughs> the lights are getting paid. Uh, the girl up the gigs getting paid. Everyone's getting paid except me. I felt like getting a t-shirt saying everybody's getting paid here except me. I'm the fucking. I'm the mug. <laughs> But that I think that's I suppose that's a conversation for another day. I suppose it's a certain belief that there's a point in it besides what happens now. You know, like a point maybe beyond the present. Not that you're going to live forever, but that maybe some romantic idea in your head is um, poising your your efforts to be heard by somebody in ten years' time where it affects. But at the same time, to be honest, I've had such a great response to this record. I can't really 
complain. I had a few goals written on the wall for this record, and I um uh, in the first couple of days after that video came out, like we, we sort of knew that that video would be, you know, like we we watched we were watching some of back and going, this is very funny, you know, it's uh, columns uh, the fellow that did it, you know, Colm Russell, you probably remember him from the rag days. He is, yeah, yeah. His his folks were watching uh, were watching it back with him, and they were cracking up laughing. They just watching their reactions, and you sort of like. And then a couple of other, I was telling a couple of people about like some of the best bits of how people interacted with me weren't um, weren't put on there. But like, so we sort of had a feeling that that might help get the thing out. I think the other side of it was I was saying to Colm, like you know, this fucking going door to door here. It's got you know this could go anywhere. It could get beaten up. They were very hard areas, and he was saying like, well, sure, what have you got to lose? You might sell a few records. You might, you might, you know, it was sort of, we, we sort of took it as fun. We were going around and we had a bit of fun doing it, but um, we always knew, like the two of us knew that we we were already privy to the album. We knew that the album had substance. So in a way we were just trying to give it the best possible chance of being heard after the disappointment of the rags when I just wasn't prepared to accept that sort of fate for this album. If that had happened, like, I, I can almost definitely tell you, I wouldn't have. Be, I wouldn't have even bothered trying to make another album, because I, like I did want it to be heard. Like apart from all my the fun I get from making it, but you do want to have an audience to some degree. And for this album, like I'm sort of happy. I've there's a lot more people know the album, have the album, actually have a physical copy of the album. I think we sold like nearly 500 copies of a vinyl record independently. For me, like that's one of my goals was shattered. I was expecting to stack uh, 300 of those 500 in my mass, you know, and leave them there for the rest of rest of my life, <laughs> rotten in the attic, you know, along with all those other rags records. But it didn't happen, and uh, so like I, I suppose. In this instance, I allowed myself uh, to maybe just reflect on that. Like you had. On the Monday before the album was coming out, I had no sort of ambitions whatsoever for the album being heard. I was almost resigned. The PR file got back to me a bit, telling me, oh, people are slow again and nobody's really getting back to me. Got an interview with fucking some radio station that worked out of a toilet in town. Um, you know, that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, I was just a little bit down. And I suppose the video rescued things in that regard. So I, I'm I'm fairly happy. Like at the moment, I would I'd like to maybe try get the record heard in a, to a broader audience in maybe Europe if I could. But up, up until finish in the year, I want to maybe start working on a sec the next album and hopefully can push myself to make something that I don't have any right to make <laughs> again. So that's my plan. That is absolutely fantastic. Uh, like it's uh, to be honest with you, it's 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 really great to hear your your attitude on things. I, I like I said, I, I never knew you as a person. Um, mm. I always liked your band, and I, I love the new album. And uh, it's just really interesting to hear your point of view because you know it's it's an odd way of life. It really is, and it's a it's a very real choice. And you know, it means missing weddings and christenings and not having a penny to your name. And that's a romantic notion to people who have money to their name. Yeah, <laughs> when when they're at christenings and weddings. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, th I think it's I think it's really great, and uh, I hope you continue doing it. I think it's an absolutely fantastic album, and I'm really really delighted that you came on the, on the podcast. I'm, so, I'm so delighted you, you've had me. I'm just, I'm just optimistic about absolutely nothing. I think that there's a there's a painter called Francis Bacon. You know, you've probably you've heard of Francis Bacon, and he says that he's optimistic about your man. So I'm just he was naturally born optimistic. I don't think I was, but I've acquired this optimism from the beginning making this out. If you actually think about where I was leaving the rags with no uh, sort of, I used to sort of come up with songs on a very rudimentary guitar to building a studio to uh, recording, uh, mixing, producing and playing all the instruments um, on a record. Like you, I would say I've caused to think I could fucking climb Everest because <laughs> that's what it felt like at the time. And I don't think I'm any different to any other individual. I just didn't allow myself. I didn't allow myself to be um, 
to, I didn't allow the that optimism to die. I kept hold of the optimism with sort of a rapacious appetite for failure and a, a desire to overcome it. And I suppose uh, anyone can do it. And that's that's the thing that it taught me. At the, the last part of the album was a guitar line, and I'd was I'd resign myself to having to get a guitarist in to play it. And I spent about two or three mo- months uh, working on this bit, and people weren't turning up for it. The, the same you we'll, we'll come over for the we'll play on it and um it, nobody was torn up and i ended up just one day i came in the studio and i was going home the evenings learning scales and stuff and trying to get the most difficult parts and it was just the most simple part and at the end of it, it just felt like i can fucking do, do anything you know and I, it wasn't egotistical because i realized just how normal and how it, it's the goals you set yourself it's nothing. I keep saying the same. Um, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, there's a thing called the crack up. A book he wrote about basically losing his ability to function as a writer, and he says, um, the, "The test of a grade A intellect." I'm not. I'm not paraphrasing it. But this is sort of just. I'm just uh, trying to give you the overview. The grade of a grade. A intellect is the ability to hold two opposing notions in mind and still function. One is that it's absolutely hopeless, and the other is that you're 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 um, you're absolutely determined to overcome the fact that it's hopeless and achieve it anyway. So that's the, that's I think that was something I read after I did the album, and it just rang true to me that that's the only way to create is to feel utterly hopeless and at the same time be resigned to doing everything you can to make the situation better that's absolutely brilliant and jesus i don't think i'll come up with a better way to end the interview than that daniel anderson thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks very much for having me (laughs) now you'll never find her sitting still her days are never dull Her mind is always racing and her hands are always full She keeps a list of heady books she's been meaning to read I'm surprised she finds the time at all to breathe If she sat in the morning by the afternoon she's fine In the company of strangers sipping complimentary wine Spinning in the existential vacuum all the famous painters seem to be The overwhelming sense that she's completely lost at sea Is shattering the image that she wants the world to see She can't abide the suicide that happens within All the creases that are falling on the skin She stands in the mirror Cursing her condition and the debt she owes to time Spinning in the existential vacuum Trying to find a means to an end Andersonsongs.com is the website where you can find out more about what Daniel is doing or where he's playing and all that sort of stuff or you can buy his album Patterns which is out now which we uh, highly recommend, don't we Neil? We do and as I said in both the first and second time that we tried to record this outro before we got into various arguments and I started knocking stuff over and stuff um, the album is beautiful it's really really great and the aesthetic is great I have the vinyl record which has like the brown 1970s cover with the block letter and uh, lettering and it's really really nice and there's a picture of Daniel with his, his dad on the on the front cover yeah oh there's like a he's got like a music video hasn't he where it's it's kind of like all made up of um, home videos yeah it's, got, it's, it's gorgeous video. Uh, history yeah, yeah and it starts off like one of those old grey whistle tests you know the kind of Jules Holland from the 70s and 80s kind of um, BBC shows mm. so it's, it was, it's him playing on a piano and it looks like like Harry Nielsen do you know what I mean it's it's so good yeah it's yeah, really, really definitely good. recommend you checking that out I th- think and I think it's worth saying that it's a really nice kind of full circle story for uh, for for Daniel like you know he kind of had that thing happen that a lot of bands have you know a record deal things go south and yeah. the band breaks up and it's um, it's one of those situations where you're left with what's next and 
you know, did I waste my life? Was that worthwhile? And all that self-doubt and stuff. But um, he really turned it around and came out with something really special. And I think that's worth celebrating. I'm really glad that we could do a, an episode for him. Yeah, well, that's good. That's something to bear in mind when De Laurentiis implodes or when Died of Worms implodes for us to sort of get strength from that. Brexit. Inevitably. Brexit as well. Yeah, sure, why not? Uh, okay, well, that was a really excellent chat. So good, good on you, Neil, again for that. You're quite the interviewer. I have to say. Thank you, Shane, for all um, the compliments that you give me on, Mike. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, thank you so much for uh, downloading and listening to the show. We'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, if everyone who, who likes the show could go onto iTunes and rate and um, comment about how much you love the podcast, we would really appreciate that. So if you, you know, you've, I'm sure you've thought about doing that in the past, but if you would actually do it right now, that would be immensely helpful uh, to us and the podcast. Um, you can uh, follow us on Twitter as well, at The Weekly GM. You can follow us on Facebook. Slash The Weekly GM. Yeah, or you can look at pictures that we have put up on Instagram. Uh, at the weekly gem as well uh, and our website is theweeklygem.com um, thanks so much for listening uh, thank you to our producer Eilish Bracken uh, to our sound engineer and mixer Emma Butt and uh, to our sponsors uh, the Bellphone Comedy Festival and obviously to Daniel Anderson for letting us use his music uh, in this podcast mm. and uh, I hope you go out and check out andersonsongs.com great okay well we'll see you next week have a good week Thank you.